Hello, people of the way. Um, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue our study through the New Testament. If you're a new listener, um, on Sundays we do the New Testament, and on Wednesdays our Bible study is through the Old Testament. We just go through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, book by book, and we just keep going. When we get to the uh, uh, Malachi on Wednesday, we get to Revelation on a Sunday. When we're done, we're going to go right back to the Gospels and right back to the uh, Genesis and just start fresh. And that's kind of the order of operations. Now, there are times where the, the there are uh, um, other studies, um, and very rarely, uh, very rarely it happens. But for the most part, um, that's that's how we study the Bible. And what's beautiful about this is that we get the full counsel of the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, you can't avoid anything. I mean, there's times when there's some hard, hard, hardcore hitting stuff. And, you know, I love it. I love it when that happens because it's like it's so uh, applicable to the church today. It's so uh, applicable in our lives in terms of learning the fear of the Lord and learning the love of the Lord. The two work together. The two work together. You know, the love of the Lord, it's beautiful. The fear of the Lord, it's beautiful. Where you have the love of the Lord, the love of the Lord only, that's where it can be dangerous. Where you have the fear of the Lord only, it can be dangerous. But the two work together. And so we're going to start our study here in Romans 8. Uh, and, and just continuing through the uh, our study through the New Testament. And, you know, look at some things that you have to notice so far is that the church in Rome is very, very young. I would say maybe several sheep, but a lot of lambs. The, 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 the ratio of lamb to sheep is, I mean, you think of lambs just as a young sheep, you know, a sheep within a year old, uh, and that's the lambs. So, you know, you go from, for a new believer, a, 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 a non-believer who's a fish, and then all of a sudden they become a believer, they're caught, and you know, the Lord works in them, they become lambs in the flock of God, and then maturity, sheep, and then you know, more maturity, then you get into like you know, the, the shepherding. Uh, and when I say more maturity and shepherd, that's like pastor, uh, elder, Bible teacher, youth leader, uh, people that serve in ministry. But you know, keep in mind too that that's not to look down on uh, 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 pew Christians because there's all kinds of ministries. All kinds of ministries, evangelical ministries with the uh, 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 focus on outreach, uh, ministry on whatever, like in Acts, serving in tables. You know, it's like all these things. Look at Philip. You know, Philip was serving in tables. That was his ministry. And then all of a sudden the Lord uh, uh, says, okay, you know, you served in the, in, in, at the tables. Now you're an evangelist. Go and, and preach the good news. And look at what Philip did. Filled by the Lord. So when you think of growth and maturity in Christ, you know, it's not just like, wow, you know, if you're mature in Christ, you're going to be a pastor. No way. No way. I mean, the Lord can do whatever he wants with you. We just have to let him. We just have to allow him. For me, in my life, this is what the Lord has for me. What the Lord has for you, that's between you and him. And I pray that the day comes where he uh, reveals what he desires to do in you and through you in terms of ministry. What you know, if you're a new believer, what he desires to do in you, you know, it's he, he desires to pour new wine inside of new wineskin. And, and, and he, he desires this intimacy with his creation, Old Testament and New Testament. You know, God never changes. You see his love. 
But then at the same time, you know, we study the, the Old Testament, you see like, whoa, you know, he's, he's just. He's just. And that's how we see our study last week. The law is good if we use it lawfully because we learn the fear of the Lord and how sin can become exceedingly sinful. It helps us. So that's why the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord work together. The church in Rome, very, very, very young. Very young. But what I love about their youth in Christ and their youth in the Lord, their youth in their walk, is that Paul doesn't withhold deep spiritual, spiritual truth from them. He gives it to them. You know, and I think that's a very beautiful model for all of us. You know, sometimes you think somebody's been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Surely this guy knows what he's talking about. Surely this guy knows. But you know what? A lot of times they have no clue. And you'll be shocked. You know, you might be a, a brand new believer. You love the Lord. You fear the Lord. And in the course of two years, three years, four years, you'll start to discover people who've been walking with the Lord for 50 years don't even know their Bibles. And it's not to say like, wow, you know, how dare you? How dare you? In one regard, I mean, me personally, I think it's kind of borderline shameful. And not in a carnal sense, but shameful like you're missing out. But look at compassion. Compassion on those people who are on milk. In the fold of Christ, just like the church in Corinth. Paul says, I wish I could speak to you guys like you guys are adults, but I got to speak to you like you guys are babies because you're only drinking milk. So he says, okay, since that's the case, I'm going to teach you like your babies. And then you see maturity start to happen again. But this church in Rome, they're young, and Paul doesn't withhold these deep spiritual things from them at all. At all. He gives it to them. And you know what's so interesting is like, you know, they're new believers. Uh, you have some people who are, uh, uh, well, they're Jew and Gentile. But then you have some people who have uh, this leaning towards, uh, remember in the book of Acts, we studied how there were these uh, uh, Jews, uh, former Pharisees who were Christians. And praise be to the Lord, except they started teaching that if you wanted to be saved, you had to be circumcised. That's the law. And so we look at these early chapters of Romans and Paul straight up he teaches about circumcision. But a different kind of circumcision. Not according to the law, not even according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And it's circumcision of the heart. Christianity, our faith in Jesus Christ, it's the only, it's the only way a female can be circumcised. Because it's in the heart. He speaks in earlier chapters about circumcision. He speaks in earlier chapters in the book of Romans about uh, the law of faith. You know, see, he, he, he speaks about the law and how the law is, uh, 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 shows us through the law. It shows us, uh, um, like in verse 7 of chapter, chapter 7, verse 7, he says, I would not have known sin except through the law. So the law is a tool to show us. As new covenant believers, remember Paul says to Timothy, you know, the, that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, but the law is not made for a righteous person. So we're not under the law, but we can still use the law. And it, it you know, for me personally, the fear of the Lord is one of the big lessons of the law. It helps me. 
That's one of my major prayers for all who listen. Is like when we study the Old Testament, that we can learn the fear of the Lord together. But then at the same time, you consider the church in Rome, their youth, and Paul, how, how Paul gives them deep spiritual truths. And what I love so much about this is, you remember like in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, they became apostles, and they started to speak in tongues, filled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then what happened is like the people, they thought they were crazy. And Peter stands up, he says, you know, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. And he starts to teach, he gives them the good news, the people were cut to the heart. They said, Peter, what do we do? You know, what do we do? Men, brethren, what do we do? And Peter gave them the good news. He gave them the gospel. He says, repent. Repent for the receive Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Repent for the remission of sins and be born again. And then you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to Christ. But then at the same time, you look at other chapters. You look at Paul. In Acts 17, he spoke to multitudes as well. You think like, whoa, Paul. I mean, it's, it's not a competition where like, you know, Peter had thousands and look at what Paul did. No, it's nothing like that at all. Paul at Mars Hill, Aeropagus. At Mars Hill, Paul is teaching, giving the good news. And in Acts 17, in verse 32, he started to speak about the resurrection. In verse 32 of Acts 17 says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So you have several camps starting to emerge as the good news is being given, as the gospel of Jesus Christ is being given by Paul. You have some that just mock him and say, You're crazy, Paul. And then you have some that says, You know what? We'll hear you again on this matter. They were intrigued, but no decision was made. And look at verse 33. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysus and the Aeropagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So you have this small group of people that says, you know what, Paul? You know, we want to know more. Tell us more about Jesus. Let that be a great encouragement to you. Because sometimes it's like, you know, you look at Acts 2 and you're like, man, I can't bring thousands to the Lord. But then, you know, you look at Acts 17, look at Paul. Surely there was a lot of people there, but what was, uh, uh, what was reaped was just a couple people. Not even a lot of people. No matter if it's a thousand people or ten people or five people or one people, you give the good news. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's also interesting to note that on Mars Hill, that was the learned class, the so-called learned class. You know, Acts 2, you just have kind of like the average Joe. Average Joe, average Jane. But then you get to Acts 17, you have the so-called learned class, the so-called intellectual, those with so-called wisdom. And then look at the ratio. Thousands to, you know, several, a small handful. And, you know, let this be a good lesson to us because sometimes intellect, it gets in the way of faith. Intellect, you know, intellect is a good servant, but it's a very dangerous master. Intellect, logic is a very, very beautiful and wonderful servant. It's also a very dangerous master. Never forget that.
You're going to encounter these things. Have you ever tried to share the good news with, you know, a college professor? You know, it, it, a lot of Christians get discouraged when they go to college, when they go to university. I'm in the camp that, you know, I think college is a waste of money. That's, 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 that's what I think. That's just me. I think it's a waste. You might think otherwise, you know, but, you know, uh, let us agree on the Lord. But, you know, you have Christians who go into college and then they get discouraged. Because you have a college professor that tries to combat against them. And then you have these young kids, you know, they don't know the Bible too much. So then all of a sudden they feel defeated. They feel like, oh, man, you know, I, I can't explain this. The professor asked me this. I can't explain it. All these kids are listening. I can't explain it. Well, look at Paul on Mars Hill. It wasn't thousands that came to the Lord. It's just a couple among the intellectual, the so-called intellectual, the intelligentsia. But then you go to Acts 2, the average Joe, average Jane, and what do you see? Multitudes. Because intellect and logic can be blockage to the Spirit of the Lord. That's why I say it's uh, intellect and logic is a very... A very good servant, but also a very dangerous master. You see? So let's go to uh, 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 Romans chapter 8 now. Very deep spiritual things to a young church. A very young church. And here in chapter 8 of Romans verse 1. So he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what I love about this? No condemnation. Every single, every single one of us, we, hear, we read this verse, we're like, wow, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation here, it's not krino, like judgment. It's kat, uh, katakrima, M-A at the end. Katakrima, which is an adverse sentence or a verdict. So the way I like to think of it and the way I teach is you're not getting an electric chair, but you have to do community service. That's the way I see it. You know, you're not going to, there's no electric chair, uh, but you have to reap what you have sown, community service. And that's what happens in the fold of Christ. There's no condemnation. If, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're abiding in Christ and Christ in you, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh. You see what happens here? Very interesting, who do not walk according to the flesh. Translates here as who do not walk after or toward the flesh. Remember, in accordance with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith. That's how we walk. We walk by faith, not by sight. A lot of people like to walk with their eyes open. Carnal eyes, not the spiritual eyes. They like to walk by sight. But the Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith, which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. That's how we walk. And then he says here at the end of verse 1, but according to the Spirit. So when there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we say, wow, praise the Lord. But there's a little asterisk to that. Walk according to the Spirit. Walk after and toward the Spirit. You see, I, I, I like to think of a, 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 a fork in the road. You know, you hear me mention a fork in the road quite a bit. And so you have a fork in the road. And it happens multiple times in a day. In one day, one 24-hour period, it happens multiple times. 
where you're in a fork in a road. You have a decision to make. You're, in the, uh, you're walking on the narrow path, and then boom, you have a decision to make. One road goes to the left, the other way it goes to the right. What do you choose? Well, let me break it down for you. Just two, two, uh, two prongs, so the fork is just two. To the left is the flesh. To the right is the spirit. That's how I do it in my walk with the Lord. One is the, the way of the flesh, and the other is the way of the spirit. And the way of the flesh might look good to the carnal. I shouldn't say might. does look good to the carnal. But the way of the spirit, it, it doesn't have appeal to the, those who are carnally minded. Which is why we reckon the old man dead. Why we reckon the old woman dead. You know, to name a few. There are, there are other reasons why we reckon the old man dead and reckon the old woman dead. And a large portion of that has to deal with our marriage to Jesus Christ. Remember, you're married to the law. When you're not in Jesus Christ, you're married to the law. But then with your death, you're dead to the law. And when you're dead to the law, boom, you're available because the marriage contract is broken because it, you can't be married with a dead person. What happens with the dead person is you in Christ. When you are crucified with Christ. And then as we studied last week in chapter 7, verse uh, 4, that you may be married to another to him. You see, so it's very, very deep. So you have this fork in the road. You have this fork in the road. One goes towards the flesh. The other goes to the spirit. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And I'm going to tell you something too. You know, this is something that in, in my own walk with the Lord, I think is a very, very, very dangerous question to ask of ourselves. And it's very common. And I say this because, you know, be careful if you ever ask yourself this question. It's very dangerous. And here's the question. Why wouldn't God want this for me? That's a very, very dangerous question. Why wouldn't God want this for me? Very, a lot of people, you know, they like to, uh, you know, they pray about the will of the Lord. Lord, what is your will? Do I do this? Do I do that? What is your will? They don't get an answer. So then they start to think, well, why wouldn't God want this for me? You, we read the, the New Testament. We read the Old Testament. Do you see what the Lord does with Israel to teach them? I mean, some things are, look at, look at Babylonian captivity. Now, if we were to ask ourselves, like, you know, say we're in, in, uh, we're in Judah prior to Babylonian captivity. We're in Judah. Well, why wouldn't God want this for us? Why wouldn't God want this for uh, me, my family, our tribe? Why wouldn't God want this? And then all of a sudden, death and destruction comes by a servant of the Lord by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And then boom, Babylonian captivity. So I think we have to be very careful. For me personally, I'm very careful with that question. I don't, I don't, I don't ask that question of myself. Why wouldn't God want that? And if you ask that, you'll be very, very careful. I would strongly recommend don't even ask that question to yourself or to another. You know, why wouldn't? Because you know what happens? We, we like to make excuses. Remember, we're carnal. We're in the flesh. We're in these earth suits. 
That's the purpose behind death. That's why there's this great motivation, this great urging to die. And I'm not speaking literally and physically. I'm speaking spiritually. To die to the things of the flesh. To reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. To carry your cross, to be crucified with Christ. But we like to make excuses to satisfy the desires of the flesh. The passions of the flesh. That's what happens. We say, oh, why wouldn't God want this for me? And we make excuses. Why? To satisfy the flesh. You say, oh, come on now. We're Christians. We're Christians. Well, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17 really quick. Jeremiah 17. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, says this, The heart is deceitful above all things. Whoa. The heart. Deceitful. So you picture the person in your life that lies the most. Who is that person who is the most deceiving it could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor, it could be anybody. The store that you go to, there might be a guy there, a girl there. Who, who is it that's the most deceitful person in your life? That you, you just, you, you might say a hi every now and then, maybe you don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole. It's just like, well, I got to avoid this person. Why? Because they're deceitful. They cause a lot of damage. So I'm going to avoid this person. Well, do you know what Jeremiah 17, 9 says? The heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things. More than anything or anyone else, you know who is the most deceitful? The person you look at in the mirror. You see, that's the reason why we have to give our hearts to the Lord. And be filled by His Spirit. Because he gives us a new mind, a new spirit, a new heart. That old nature is dead. If you crucify him, if you crucify her, that old nature is dead. You have a new heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. We have to be very careful with our hearts. You know, we're, we're not incorrupt yet. We're not immortal yet. It's going to happen. You abide in Christ and Christ in you, it's going to happen. As surely as the Lord lives. Where we're going to shed off these earth, earth suits. We're going to be shed of these things. Where the corrupt will put on incorruption. The mortal will put on immortality. Read 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to happen. But don't forget, it's the corrupt that puts on incorruption. Which means what? You and me today are corrupt in these earth suits. That's kind of what Paul was uh, describing last week in our study in chapter 7 of Romans. When he says, you know, for I know that in me, this is in Acts seven eighteen. he says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. You see, 
And that's where we talked about the duality of man, not in the psychological sense, but the duality of man about the battle that rages inside of you and inside of me. So let's go back to Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Translates as incurably sick. Desperately, 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 desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. That's what the word of God says. So now that we know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, do you see now why I say that that dangerous question, why wouldn't God want this for me? You see why I say that's a dangerous question? And it happens a lot in the fold of Christ. Why wouldn't God want this for me? Why would God want this? Whatever it is. Why wouldn't God want me to go over here? Why wouldn't God want me to go over there or do this or try this? Or Why wouldn't he? Surely he wants good things for me. And surely this feels good. Surely this seems good. Of course, this is a better, you know, state a better situation, a better circumstance. Why wouldn't God want this for me? And then all of a sudden, they proceed and then they find ruin. They find ruin because they were walking with their eyes, carnal eyes. So be very dangerous with that question. If you ever ask that of yourself, you know, why wouldn't God want this for me? You know, I would say, don't ask that. But if you do ask that of yourself, question your motivation. Question your motivation. Look at how the Lord has led godly people into seemingly harm's way. How the Holy Spirit, you know, led Paul to Jerusalem. How the Holy Spirit the Lord led uh, uh, Peter uh, 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 to the house of Cornelius. All seemingly with carnal eyes, it's like, well, this is kind of dangerous. But with spiritual eyes, look at how the Lord led Ananias to, to open up his home to Saul before his name changed. You see, when Paul, when Paul was blind. So that's why we have to be very careful with this question. Because a lot of times we pose this question. You know, we're at the fork in the road. To the left is the way of the flesh. And to the right is the way of the spirit. And we're at this fork. We're paused. And then we say, okay, Lord, well, why wouldn't God want me to take a left turn? This seems nice. Little daffodils here along the path. You know, it's nice trees, nice greenery. Okay, so I'm going to go left. But what's happening is the flesh. It's the way of the flesh. I like my feelings to be satisfied. I like my senses, my passions, my whatever it is to be satisfied on this road to the left. Not realizing because I'm following the carnal, the carnal nature. Not realizing that it's a bad way to go. Ultimately, it leads to destruction. But step one in that direction isn't good. Step two, three, four, five in that direction is way worse. But what about step a thousand? 
when you realize, when, not if, when you realize that you've taken this path of the flesh, you need to repent. You need to repent and not, you know, turn around, walk back and get, go back on the other path. You repent and you know what the Lord does? He picks you up and he takes you back to the path where you need to be on because your heart is right with him. You're at peace with the Lord. That's what he does. And when that happens, something else starts to, 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 to happen in your life. You start to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because you learn not to follow after the carnal passions. You learn not to follow after the things of the flesh. And not to walk according to the flesh. But according to the Spirit, as Paul is saying here in verse 1 of Romans 8. We learn it. And a lot of times we learn it by mistakes, our own mistakes. I learned it by my mistakes. Sometimes I learn it from the mistakes of others. But I learn it from my mistakes and I learn it hardcore from mistakes that are made in the Bible. People who have made mistakes. And then you see the Lord, remember the Lord, we studied this in our, in, uh, uh, as we were closing the book of Leviticus, how the Lord is reactionary. He, he, he reacts. The, the person does something and then the Lord reacts. It's like a kid, you know, oh, dad, why are you spanking me, mom? Why are you spanking me? It's not for the heck of it. It's not because it's pleasing to the mom, pleasing to the dad. But it's reactionary. You know, you want to color on the walls? I told you not to do that. I told you once. I told you twice. I told you three times. You still want to color in the walls? Okay, come here. I'm going to handle business. I don't mean beat your kid to a bloody pulp. Be merciful and gracious. But then at the same time, you know, you can't provoke your, your child to anger. But you also cannot spare the rod. A lot of parents have spared the rod. Now look, <laughs> we're living in the world that they've created. We're tasting of the fruit of their lack of labor. You see, I don't want, it's so mean-spirited. It's a, a, a corporal punishment. I'm not going to do that to my kid. Okay. So you have your 8-year-old, 12-year-old, 18-year-old, 22-year-old. Now look, you see it everywhere. Millennials. Who are like babies. It's like they're five years old. Yeah, you can have an adult conversation with a millennial. And everything's fine and dandy. But if they get offended. If they get triggered. If they have those uh, microaggression. Oh my goodness, they go crazy. You know, delusion. Strong delusion of the last days. It's prophesied. It's prophesied. We see it. And so look what happens here in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, you notice, notice what's happening here in verse 2. We see two laws emerge. The first law is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The second law is the law of sin and death. Remember, in Galatians 5 verse 13... Don't use liberty as opportunity for the flesh. But then at the same time, these laws are still in play. One is the law of sin and death. The other is the law of the spirit 
of life in Christ Jesus. Life. That's the law of the Spirit, which is life. But the law of sin and death, that's the work of Satan. Today, we're, we're you know, in the age of grace. That's why I have some, you know, very major, I don't even want to say gripes, but a very major issue with the Hebrew Roots Movement. Because it's a trap. People who are Christians. How Satan, he wants people who are Christians, who are at the, at the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross. You know, in our relationship with the Lord. At the cross, and Satan uses the law. Uses uh, someone's devotion to Jesus Christ. Uses someone's uh, piety and, uh, and, you know, their homage to the Lord. Oh, since, since, since Jesus was Jewish, all the apostles were Jewish, the prophets were Jewish. Let's go back to what's in the Hebrew roots. Let's go back to the law. Let's start doing the feasts and the festivals. Remember, righteousness doesn't come through the law. If righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. The law was created with loopholes so that a, a second might be sought after. And that's Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. It's a trap. The Hebrew Roots Movement, it's a trap. Because Satan wants to get people away from the cross and back into the law where there's death. It's not good. Not good at all. In verse 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, remember, the law was designed with loopholes. Now you hear me say that and you're like, whoa, that's a heavy indictment. What is he talking about? Hebrews 8, let's turn to Hebrews 8 really quick. Just so you see what I'm talking about here. In Hebrews 8 verse Six, but now he, speaking of Jesus Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on a be on better promises. For if that first covenant, the law, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. You see, that's why I say the, the law was created with loopholes so that there was room for a second that would be sought after. And it's Jesus Christ, the law, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. The law is still in effect. Still in effect. But if, if you abide in Jesus Christ, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you abide in him and him in you, you're not under the law, you're under grace. You're under grace. So many times people say, oh, I'm under grace, I'm under grace. It's like, wait a second, you're, you're telling me you're under grace? Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, but why are you going to strip clubs? What's up with the pornography? What's up with the crack pipe? Why are you a text cheat? Why are you paying people under the table? Why do you say these little white lies? Why are you fudging the numbers on your taxes so you can get an extra $2,000? You see, why wouldn't God want me to have an extra $2,000? Why wouldn't God want me to have an extra $5,000? And all I have to do is fudge these numbers. People who turn left, they go down the road of the flesh. That's why I say that's a very dangerous question. 
very, very dangerous question. Why wouldn't God want me to have a good time with my friends? Why wouldn't God want me to, you know, help to, to bless, you know, have air quotes? Why wouldn't God want me to bless these employees? They can get extra money, so I'm just going to pay them under the table. No, you're cheating the system. You want to go out and have a good time with your friends? Where is that? At the strip club? What is that? Getting high? You get this extra $5,000? How did you do that? By fudging the numbers on your taxes? And you call that the blessing of the Lord? No, that's the flesh. That's the flesh. You see? I know you see this. I know you see, it's very common. It's very popular in the church. The world is the world. I, I, I care about the world for their salvation. Outside of that, I care about the church. Sometimes you hear me say, I don't care about the world. Because, you know, I teach the living. But I care about the world in terms of their salvation. But this is very rampant in the church. They make excuse. Excuses. To satisfy fleshly desires, fleshly passions, carnal desires. But that's not the way. That's not the way of righteousness. That's not the way of walking according to the Spirit. It's the way of walking according to the flesh. And this verse 1, there is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's like, wow, so... What, what, what is being said here? What is being taught here? There's dangers behind walking according to the flesh. In the course of a day, do you know how many forks in the road you have? Hundreds, if not thousands. Multiple, multiple forks in the road. And if you spend the whole time, each one of those going to the left, going to the way of the flesh, going to the way of the flesh. Each time you take this, you turn left. Each time you do that, you know what's happening to your heart? It's getting harder. Harder and harder and harder and harder. And you could say, you could, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But don't forget, remember the Holy Spirit bypassed Stephen? Or uh, uh, Simon? We studied that in the book of Acts, how Philip, as an evangelist, all these people were becoming saved. They all believed in Jesus Christ, including Simon. And then Peter came to town. He realized, wait a second, the Holy Spirit has not fallen on anybody. And so Peter prayed. Everybody received the Holy Spirit except for one person by the name of Simon. His heart wasn't right before the Lord. Yeah, he believed in Jesus Christ. But he had no power. No Holy Spirit, because the Lord knew his heart. You see? And so look what happens here in verse in verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. I mean, we're going to see that hardcore in our study in the book of Numbers. We've seen it already, little glimpses of it. The law, Exodus, you have the law given. And then you see the, the, the golden calf and you see death now. What happens to the golden calf? You see certain people, they die. 
And now more law is given. And now you're going to start to see, like, you know, because the law is given. Remember, in the law is the knowledge of sin. And don't forget that in the law, there's provisions in the law by, we, by, by which atonement can be made for sins. But the Lord also told Mos Moses and Aaron, he says, don't compel anybody to do this. Those who are willing, they do it. But don't compel anybody to do it. So what does that show us? That verse 3 rings true. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. And we're going to see a lot of the flesh in the Old Testament. A lot of the flesh. And we're going to see it in the book of Numbers. And it's sad. It's going to break your heart. It's very sad. The first generation, they don't go to the promised land. Except for Caleb and Joshua. They don't go to the promised land. The first generation. You know what, who does it? The second generation. The first generation dies. You know what that means for you and me? Our first generation is when we're married to the law. Our first generation is when we're under Adam. Our second generation is when we've died. We're married to Christ. And we're not under Adam anymore. We're under Jesus. You see what the book of Numbers teaches us? And then what happens? Once that happens... Our first generation, death. Second generation, life. And not only life, the promised land. You see? Crossing the River Jordan. You know what that is? Entering paradise. Entering paradise. That's what I'm talking about. This is, these are spiritually discerned. I mean, if you're like a college professor and you're listening, you're like, oh, what does this guy have to say about the Bible? It's very likely that you will not understand the things I'm saying because these are spiritually discerned. But you might be a college professor that, you know, is a Christian and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I pray that's the case. Don't forget, intellect is a very beautiful servant, but a very dangerous master. All these things are spiritually discerned. What we study in the Word of God. When we talk about, remember our study in Leviticus, we talk about showbread, which has leaven. What does that say for you and me as New Covenant believers? When we have leaven. Not leaven which, you know, destroys the lump. But a form of corruption. Because we haven't put on incorruption yet. Just like what Paul says in chapter 7. He says for, in, in verse 19, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. You see, it's Paul is, is exemplifying his own corruption. It's the flesh. It's the flesh. He says in verse 24 of chapter 7, seven he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, the deliverer. You see? So we go back to chapter 8 now. And we learn even more. Remember, these are deep spiritual truths that Paul is giving to young, young Christians. In Rome. And so we understand now that the law could not do, for what the law could not do in verse 3 of chapter 8, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. God did. How did He do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
You see how powerful this is? So in accordance with what we learn in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, we learn that the law is nailed to the cross, but three things happen at the cross. The law, the fulfillment of the law, and the weakness of the law, which is the flesh, all three are nailed to the cross. All three nailed to the cross. God's only begotten Son. The fulfillment of the law. Nailed to the cross. The weakness of the law. The flesh of God's only begotten Son. Nailed to the cross. And even the law. Nailed to the cross. In accordance with Colossians 2 verse 14. You see what God has done? Why? Because He loves you. He's long-suffering, not willing that you should perish, but that you should have life with Him. It's a great invitation into paradise. A great invitation into heaven. And there's only one who is the door, capital D. His name is Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High. Do you see what God has done? Because he loves you. So look, look what happens here in verse nine, or verse three. So God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So this uh, c- condemnation we see in verse one, there is now no condemnation. That's katakrima, m a at the end which is an adverse sentence or verdict. Like I said, you know, it's not the electric chair for you. It's not the electric chair for me, but we might have community service. But this condemnation in verse 3, he condemns sin in the flesh. This is katakrino. N-O at the end. Katakrino, which is to judge against and to damn, damnation. For what? Sin. So for the Christian, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You abide in Christ and Christ in you. You're not the one that's condemned. You might have community service. You know, you're not getting the electric chair, but you might have community service. You're going to have to reap what you have sown. You're not condemned. You know what's condemned? Sin is condemned. Now you might say, wow, this is so cool. Does that mean I can do this? Does that mean I can do this and I can get away with it? No way. You're not going to get away with it. Remember, chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not! Exclamation point. Chapter 6, verse 15. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not! Exclamation point. But just as Paul in chapter 7 acknowledges his flesh... So you, so me, we have to acknowledge our flesh as corrupt. Corrupt. Looking forward to the day that we put on incorruption. But understanding that we're corrupt. All those forks in the road that we have thousands of times in a day. If it's hundreds or thousands of times in a day, imagine the number of times in a week. In a month, in a year. If you're young, say you're 10 years old and you're listening. And life expectancy is say 80 years old, maybe 85. I don't know, technology might be 120. 
That's a whole lot of years where you're going to have a whole lot of forks in the road. And if you're a youngster in Christ, or if you're a youngster, period, take the right turn. The way of the Spirit. Don't go left the way of the flesh. You're going to do, you might go left, but you know, maybe one, two, three steps. Once you realize, once you taste of that, repent and, you know, the Lord will put you back to where you need to be because your heart is right with the Lord. Now, when I say if you're young in Christ, you know, there are 50-year-olds, there are 80-year-olds who are babies in Christ. There are 15-year-olds who are titans in, in the faith because they've uh, put away an elementary things. They moved on to perfection and they are moving on to perfection. So in Christ, it's very interesting because in Christ, you know, you could be 20 years old and the most seasoned believer. You can be more mature than an 80-year-old. A 20-year-old can be more mature than an 80-year-old. In Christ. In Christ, a female can be circumcised. In Christ. You see? Because it's of the heart. So what does this tell us? That's what Paul is teaching. Some hardcore truths. Look at verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, the, the, I, I, I read out of the New King James Version. Uh, I'm not into the more uh, liberal text, the liberalized text. Uh, I've settled on the New King James Version. Not to get into, I mean, I could tell you reasons why, but, you know, I'm, liberalized versions, I just don't lean to. I just don't lean on, you know, and just as a, little, as a little side note, the modern translations of the Bible are very, very dangerous. Uh, copyright dates, uh, you know, Bibles are being changed. So, you know, if you have a Bible that has an old copyright date, you know that uh, stick with that, you know, because a lot of the new Bibles that are being published, that are the new publications, it's they're, they're changing it. They're being liberalized. If you read out of the message, you know, don't read that one. That's that's a very dangerous, very very dangerous form of text. I don't even call it text. I don't call. I don't refer to that as the Bible, the the message. So we're living in very very dangerous times, because you have these organizations, these so called scholars, and they're piecing together these modern Bibles, and as they piece them together, because they're liberal, they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So they change the text of Scripture. And that's why I have this hardcore stance about, about, you know, not so much on certain Bible versions. You know, I have preference for myself and I can explain why and reasons why. But, you know, I've also read out of the NIV. I've also read out of the New Living Translation. I've also read out of the ESV. And I've gleaned certain things from them. I've learned from them. But I don't like these liberalized versions. I like, you know, Textus Receptus, you know, that's that's my preference. And so let's look at what happens here in verse uh, in verse four, that the righteous requirement. Oh, the reason why I mentioned that is that the righteous requirement, how this translates in the Greek, it's righteousness, not righteous requirement. It just says righteousness, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled 
in us. And that's the beauty of intimacy with the Lord. Oneness with Him. When you make a cognizant choice to abide in Christ, don't forget, and He in you. The fulfillment of the law is at home in your heart. At home in this temple that you call the body. You see? So who is the fulfillment of the law? Of course, Jesus Christ. But in accordance with what we read here in verse 4, because Christ is in you, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. You know who else is the fulfillment of the law? You and me. You and me. You see how beautiful this is? Showbread. Remember showbread in the tabernacle? Remember study in Leviticus? So wait a second. Okay, so, wow, this is so crazy. So does that mean I can go out and do this? Go out to the strip club, cheat on my taxes? No way. Don't do that. That's taking left turns in life. Oh, but why wouldn't God want me to have an extra $2,000 on my taxes? Why wouldn't God want me to have, you know, a good time with my friends, to laugh with my friends? Why wouldn't he like me to feel good? Why wouldn't he like these employees to, you know, have extra money in their paycheck? It's a blessing to them. Don't call that a blessing. Don't call that a blessing. That's carnality. That's carnality. And you read the Bible, and you know there are curses for disobedience and blessings for obedience, which we're going to see. We've already studied that in Leviticus a little bit, but we're going to see it play out more in Deuteronomy. Obey the Lord. Obedience unto Him. That's the way of righteousness. That's the way of walking according to the Spirit. Sometimes it might be difficult. You know, you're not going to be able to have a good time with your old friends. Your old friends call you and say, Oh, you know what? Let's go to the strip club. You say, No way. I fear the Lord. I'm not doing that. Your friends call you, Hey, let's go get drunk tonight. I got the finest weed from Chiapas, Mexico. No way. I fear the Lord. No way. The employee comes to you. Oh, can you, can you pay me under the table? I'll do this for you. Can you give me $200 but do it under the table? No way. But I can get more money. And you don't have to pay uh, uh, a payroll tax. No way. I fear the Lord. You see? Those are the right turns. The way of the Spirit. The way of the Lord. And that's how we walk. In the spirit, not in the flesh. And so he says this in uh, in verse 4 at the end. He says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according, remember, after and toward to the spirit, he says. So don't forget, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. The wages of sin is still death. The wages of sin is still death. Only it has been placed on the Lord. It's no longer imputed unto you. It's no longer accounted unto you. You see, people say, oh, you think homosexuals should be stoned? You're a Christian. You think we should stone homosexuals and lesbians and all these different people? It's like, no, my friend. I'm first in line. I should be stoned. I should be killed. It should be me on the cross because the wages of sin is death and my sin was great. My sin was terrible and it should be me that died. 
But that's why I love Jesus Christ so much. That's why I'm in love with him. Because he paid the price. He took the pain. He suffered shame. All in obedience to the Father. Why? Because that's how much my Father loves me. That's how much your Father loves you. Our Father in Heaven. You see? You see how deep this is to a young church? Paul is like, you know, no holds barred. He's going deep with them. And praise be to the Lord because, you know, you see in other books, he doesn't go as deep to the church in Corinth. He teaches about spiritual warfare. But he didn't write, you know, these deep things to the church in Corinth. I wonder why. Remember, he says, I wish I could write to you like you. I wish I could say these these things to you like you were adults, but you guys are babies. Babies. I have to teach you like your babies. You're like back in the bottle. Now, when I say this is a young church in Rome, what's so beautiful is that uh, the receptiveness that Paul is able to write these things. Remember, I mean, in, in chapter one, he says in verse, uh, in verse chapter one, verse fifteen. So I, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. You see, now if 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 he had a mindset that said it was because of his. Um, oratory skills that people come to Christ. He wouldn't say any of these things because he doesn't want to offend anybody. But it's the power of God to salvation. The power of God to salvation. He says in verse 15, I'm ready to preach the gospel. And so what does he do? Verse 18, the wrath of God. Whoa. You know how many people, you know how many Christians, you know how many evangelists and pastors and elders would say, if you're going to share the good news, don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about wrath. Talk about God's love. That's what they say. You know what Paul says? I'm ready to preach to you the gospel. The wrath of God is revealed. He goes right for the jugular. He doesn't follow these concepts of, you know, how to persuade, how to, you know, people, modern Christians today, modern evangelists today, who don't align with the Word of God, they turn the gospel of Jesus Christ into a sales pitch. Like you're buying a used car. How they cheapen the Lord. How they cheapen the good news. It's not a sales pitch. As is written here in chapter 1, verse 16 of Romans, it is the power of God to salvation. That's the work that the Lord does inside of you. When you hear, remember, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So once a person hears, what happens? Well, Luke chapter 8 reveals that to us. In Luke chapter 8, verse um, 11, says the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. These, what's written here in verse 13, are a bunch of people who've taken the left turn. 
They haven't gone the right turn. They've gone the left turn. The way of the flesh. The way of the carnal. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. What does verse 13 say about once saved, always saved? Because you have a people who believe, but only for a while. Instead of taking the right turn, the way of the Spirit, they take the left turn, left turn, left turn, left turn. And each time they do that, their heart is getting harder. And when a heart gets hard, it is no longer of the circumcision. And when it's no longer of the circumcision, what happens? They no longer have eyes to see or ears to hear. They turn religious. Instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ, they have religion. Religion. No relationship. Religion. A bunch of Simons in the church. In the church, a bunch of Simons. People who don't have the Holy Spirit because they follow after religion. What about the helper? What about the helper that at the onset was, hey, take a right turn. Let's go this way of the Spirit. But no, they ask this question, why wouldn't God want this for me? Why wouldn't God want me to do this? Why wouldn't He want me to have this, you know, extra money? Why wouldn't He want me to cheat on my taxes so I can, you know, I can tie the extra hundred bucks to the church? We make excuses for for the flesh to satisfy the passions and desires of the flesh. You see it? I mean, in, in some regards, you don't need me to tell you because we see it. It's alive and well. And the same Holy Spirit that's been saying, turn right, turn right, turn right. And a person's been going left and left and left. Finally, they start to say, oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. It's very dangerous. Here in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, those who believe, they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. That's being a baby forever. No maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see? That's the beauty of walking according to the Spirit. Not after the flesh, but after and toward the Spirit. All these choices we have to make in life, all these forks in the road, just in the course of a a day, just in the course of 10 minutes, a choice you have to make. Do I go left or do I go right? And you have the helper. Hopefully you have ears to hear. The helper. Hey, turn right, turn right. You turn right, your heart is getting softer and softer and softer and softer. You can see, you can hear clearly. Thus fulfills the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oneness. Oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oneness in His Spirit. You see? In one sense, you know, not that we should marvel that Paul is giving such deep spiritual truths to a young church because, yes, these are spiritually discerned, but when you read the text, it's kind of easy. It's kind of easy. I mean, 
conceptually, it's easy. But you know what's hard? Application. Actually doing it. Actually reading the Word of God, understanding what the Word says, okay? And then you go out into the world and you do what the Word says. Don't be a hearer of the Word only, but also be a doer. Hearer and doer. People say, oh, you teach works-based salvation. No, I don't. I teach obedience. Obedience. Faith and works are inseparable. That's what Brother James says. Oh, but that's workspace. That's workspace. What do you mean? I, I can't I can't go to the strip club. Why wouldn't God want me to have an extra two thousand dollars? I'll just fudge the numbers on my taxes. You know, nobody will audit me. No big deal. A little white lie here, a little white lie there. No big deal. My friends call me. Surely the Lord would want me to minister to them. Oh, by the way, they're coming with so-called the, the, the finest weed from Chiapas, Mexico. Why wouldn't God want me to have a good time with them? That's turning left, my friend. That's a dangerous road, a dangerous path. Now, you could say, oh, that's legalism. You're such a legalist. Well, it's, you know, you, I've gone down that path before. And God is merciful. He's gracious. He's loving. And just as it's written in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So it's not, you know, the electric chair. It's community service. Spiritually speaking, I had to do community service. I had to reap what I have sown. But praise be to the Lord that, you know, you take a left turn and you're walking, you're walking, you're walking. You're like, whoa, I took a left turn. I shouldn't have done this. Lord, forgive me. I repent. I shouldn't have followed after my carnal desires, my carnal passions, the passions of the flesh. I shouldn't have followed this, this way of the flesh. Lord, I asked myself, you know, why wouldn't you want this for me? And I turned left. Lord, I never want to ask that, that question anymore. Because, Lord, your word says my heart is desperately wicked. Your, 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 your word teaches me that my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Lord, I don't want to follow that. I want to follow you. Forgive me, Lord. And then the next time it happens, you take a right turn. You learn. Oh, you're such a legalist. <laughs> I don't really, I don't see it as legal. I mean, you might say it's legal. Somebody might say, you know, yeah, you're such a legalist, such a legal. I don't see it as legal. You know what I see? Obedience. Holiness. Remember, Moses says, be holy for the Lord is holy. But Peter says, be holy for the Lord is holy. What's our takeaway? Be holy for the Lord is holy. What do we do applicationally? Be holy for the Lord is holy. It's kind of easy. It's not hard at all. The question is, are we hearers of the word only? Or are we also doers of the word? I say we on purpose because I'm in the same boat. I never want to teach or preach at you. We're all in the same boat. We're all in, in, in these present earth suits. But it's corruption that will one day put on incorruption. We have to acknowledge our level, our form of corruption today. Yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, you abide in Christ and Christ in you. Yes, beautiful. But we still have elements of corruption. You have to acknowledge that. You know why? 
Because Satan is the one who will capitalize on those little forms of corruption. He uses those forms of corruption as, you know, footholds. He attempts to. But when you know this concept, you will understand these footholds for what they are. You will understand this corruption for what it is. A potential foothold. And because you're abiding in Christ, you're matured in Christ, you've learned spiritual warfare, you test the spirits, understanding that Satan can present himself as an angel of light. You're a Berean. Then you pick up your sword, pick up your shield, and you fight the good fight. We see that exemplified with Brother Paul, Brother Peter, Eunice, Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe. You know, what were the pastors? The pastors, the elders, the so called teachers. Look at the church in Corinth, all kinds of uh, flesh, carnal passions. A guy who was having sex with his, dad, with his dad's wife. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Defunct. Defunct. Remember Acts 20, when Paul says of the elders, you know, some of you guys will turn into wolves. To the elders. So-called shepherds. I mean, they were shepherds at the time. In Acts 20, they were shepherds. But even the shepherds have to take the right turn too. So you have a bunch of shepherds in Acts 20. And in the course of time, some of them, they started taking left turns. Left turn, left turn, left turn. Their heart was getting harder, harder, harder. And then they were corrupted. They were corrupt already. But they were corrupted even more. We, you, me, we're corrupt already. Is to say, let's not be corrupted even more. Let's move on to perfection. And one day, our corrupt will put on incorruption. So you have these elders. They take the left turn, left turn, left turn, left turn. Their heart is getting harder, 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 harder. Oh, we're of the elect. You know, we're chosen. We're good to go. Judah had the same argument with Jeremiah. We're of the elect. Why wouldn't God want this for us? Why wouldn't, you know, God is for us. Look at the death and destruction that happened in Judah. And then look at the captivity that happened in Babylonia. Babylon. You see? The Lord disciplines those whom He loves. We have to understand these things for our own walks. And this is how I walk. These are the things that I do in my life. I share this with you to teach you, to equip you, to train you. Rolling on the mat, so to speak, learning how to fight. Spiritually speaking. Rolling on the mat, learning how to use your shield, learning how to, you know, use your sword. How to fight. And this is how the Christian fights. This is how the warrior fights. And it's so beautiful when it happens because we have this great cloud of witnesses in the Word of God and a great cloud of witnesses before us in this place called Earth. Which isn't our home. We're just passing by. It's not our home. And so look what happens here. 
He says uh, in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh, all those people who take left turns, left turn, left turn, left turn, the shepherds in Acts 20, the elders in Acts 20, some of them took left turn, left turn, left turn, left turn, left turn, and what happened? They turned into wolves. Wolves, enemies of Christ. Wolves, dangerous to the lambs, dangerous to the sheep. Former shepherd, now a wolf. How does that happen? All the left turns as a heart gets harder. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's how a heart can become hard through trespass. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Luke 8, the Lord reveals to us that somebody can believe, but only for a little while. Don't be a short-term Christian. I don't want you to be my short-term brother. I don't want you to be my short-term sister. I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister until the day we die. That's what I want. That's my desire. So that you can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what does it look like the person who sets their mind, uh, the, the person who takes all these left turns? What does that look like in verse 5? For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Very interesting. Precursory to disobedience of hands, disobedience of feet, disobedience of the tongue is the disobedience of the mind precursory to all those things. A lot of people say, oh, look, this guy murdered. Oh, look, this guy raped. Oh, look, this lady did this. Look, this guy did this. Look, all these things. Yes, it's terrible. I'm not saying it's not terrible. It is terrible. The works of the flesh, the steps of the feet, the works of the hand, but precursory to all those things, what's going on in the mind? What's happening in a person's mind? Verse 5 reveals those who live according to the flesh set their minds minds on the things of the flesh. You know what? That's disobedience right there in itself. Because we are told to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. A person that refuses to do that willfully, maybe through lack of intelligence or lack of information. If you have lack of information and you've been doing that, you officially no longer have lack of information. Why? Because I'm telling you. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, if you have lack of intelligence, that's another ballgame. And I pray that's not you. I pray you have lack of information. Because now you know. There's that saying, I mean, I'm kind of old. But I used to watch G.I. Joe when I was a kid, you know, and you know, knowing is half the battle. You know, it, it's true. I don't want to base theology off a cartoon, but, you know, knowing is half the battle. In terms of our, our walk with the Lord and our battle, this war that rages within, what's going on between our ears? What's going on between your ears? What are the things you dwell on? What are the things you meditate on? Is it true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy? If the answer is no, repent. If the answer is yes, rejoice. Do you bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? If the answer is no, repent and do it. 
Start doing, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know. Now you know. Start doing it. Start employing these skills, these uh, attributes in your life, in your walk to honor the Lord. Start taking these right turns. Instead of going left, the way of the flesh, turn right, the way of the Spirit. It's obedience. This is the way. This is the walk of a Christian, a believer. You know how many times you say, oh yeah, you can go ahead and sin. God loves you. God loves you. He'll, he'll forgive you. Oh, God is love. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and do this. What? Where, where do people get off teaching such things? Pastors teach such things. Oh, I don't want to offend the congregation, so I don't teach Revelation. I don't want to offend anybody, hurt anybody's feelings, so we don't study the Old Testament. What, you know what a disservice you're doing? You know how disobedient that is, number one, but what a disserving you're doing, disservice you're doing to the flock of God, not your flock. The flock of God. You're a temporary steward. Be an obedient steward. Remember, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. How many pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders, they will not touch the Old Testament? So you have a congregation that comes to church and you have all these pages that are like, you can tell they've been read. You can tell that, you know, you got folds, maybe a little rip here, a little rip there, and they're all in the New Testament. But then you look at the Old Testament in their Bible and they're like brand new. Some pages have never even been separated from each other. Some, like multiple pages, never separated from each other. They're a brand new Bible, never been touched. You know what that tells me? I don't deny anybody's love of the Lord. But without the fear of the Lord, it's very dangerous. It's like driving a car. You get, you get in a car. So you sit in a car. You get a rental car. You get inside. You're about to start it up. But then you look down and you realize, hey, there's just a gas pedal here. There's no brake pedal. Are you going to turn on the car and drive? No way. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill your occupants. You're going to kill people in the street, pedestrians, everybody. It's dangerous. That car is a death trap. And a pastor, a Bible teacher, a youth leader, an elder who refuses to teach the Old Testament, it's a death trap. You say, whoa, 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 that's hardcore. That's using the law lawfully. The law is not made for a righteous person. Remember in chapter 7, in verse 13, that sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. That's the law. So that sin through the commandment might, might become exceedingly sinful. People can learn the fear of the Lord through the Old Testament, through the law. Look at what we've studied thus. If you've been listening for a while, I don't know how long you've been listening. Look what we've studied so far in the Old Testament. In some passages, it's terrifying. Sometimes we read passages in the Old Testament, it's like, whoa, Lord. I'm scared. Like, okay, I'm not doing this. You see? You learn the fear of the Lord. That's the brake pedal. You learn how to hit the brakes. Let's continue in Romans 8. 
verse uh, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds, you know, he says, set their minds on the things of the flesh in verse 5, and still in continuation, those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You see how beautiful this is? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Where is your mind? Ask yourself that question. Where is my mind? What are the things that you think about? What are the things that you dwell upon? What are the things that you meditate upon? What is going on in your mind? Is it beautiful? Is it true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy? If the answer is no, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. That's a dangerous path to be on, mentally speaking. Because what emanates from a carnal mind? Carnal feet, carnal hands, carnal body, works of the flesh. Let's be a people that nips that in the bud. You know what I mean? Nips in the bud? You know what I mean? Circumcision of heart. You see? Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Remember, this is a letter to the church, Christians. To be carnally minded is death. I had a guy one time, an elder. He was involved in other ministries too, but he was an elder. And he tells me, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's what he tells me. He was expecting me to be like, wow, you know, that's a good saying. You know, I really like that. But you know what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Don't receive that. Somebody tells you that, hey, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You know, you see these uh, famous, you know, the, these uh, New York Times bestseller, so-called Bible teachers, so-called, you know, spiritual people. They like to come up with these little monikers so they can go viral or something. You know, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's the dumbest thing. That's the dumbest advice. That's such unwise counsel. You know what? Be heavenly minded. Let your mind be on heavenly things. Let your mind be on whatever is true and noble and just and pure and lovely, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy. Let your mind be on Zion. Let your mind be on paradise with our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, our bodies were stuck here in this earth. For now, it's only temporal. We're just passing by. It's only temporary. Just for a vapor. A fraction of a time. But we have eternity to look forward to. And eternity has already started in Christ, in our marriage to Jesus Christ. Very forward-looking. Eternity has already started. We just have to pass on from corruption to incorruption. But eternity has already started. What do you mean I'm no earthly good? What do you mean I don't get it? I'm no earthly good. Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, here's what I mean when I say we're no earthly good. In Hebrews 12 verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And here it is, verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. This beautiful cloud of witnesses. 
Old Testament and New Testament. The world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. You see, the world will hate you when you're a Christian. And I don't mean a Christian that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, I still get high every now and then. Not that kind of Christian. Oh yeah, I'm still a Christian, but I, you know, I get my, my weed from Chiapas, Mexico. It's the best weed in the world. Not that kind of Christian, so-called Christian. Oh yeah, it's okay to say a little white lie. No big deal. You can take the mark of the beast, they'll be saved. Yeah, no big deal. Like I read this, you know, this famous study Bible. No big deal. Oh yeah, I, I grave soaking. Yeah, you know, I go to church and after church we go grave soaking. No big deal. My friends call me, they want to go to strip, strip clubs. Yeah, let's do it. We'll have a good old time. I'm not talking about that kind of Christian. The world likes those kind of Christians. The world does. They don't mind those kind of Christians. But you know what? Neither does Satan. I'm talking about the Christians that have their minds in the heavenly realm. Who, just like here in verse 38 of Acts, oh, I said Acts 12, It was or Hebrews 12. It's Hebrews 11. Sorry about that. Here in Hebrews 11, in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. The world hates you. Not when you're the nominal Christian, cold, lukewarm. But when you're the hot Christian, white hot, the world will hate you. The more you grow, the more you mature in Christ, the world will hate you. Straight up. You might have seen it already. They mock you. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're going too far with this Christianity business. You're going too far with it. What do you mean I'm going too far with it? What are you talking about I'm going too far? You have no idea how far I'll go with it. You don't say that boastfully. It's kind of scary too because you realize, I thought you were a Christian too. I'm like, you're not, you're not, we're not on the same page here? Don't you read the same Bible that I read? A person could read the exact same Bible you do. But they might not be the same exact doer like you are. They take their left turns. You take your right turns. You walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And these Christians who've been taking left turns and left turns and left turns, the same path by which elders, the same path path by which shepherds become wolves, that's the path that they're on. That's the road that they're taking. That's the, and they call it grace. They call it love. They have no brakes. That's a vehicle without brakes. And they go and they go and they go and they go. And they'll hate you. It is written. In the last days, there will be apostasy. There will be a false church and an apostate church. And then there will be the real church. I mean, numbers-wise, if you just divide that equally, 
That's 33 and a third. Look at the majority. Look at the multitudes. And I'm sure it's not, I'm sure it's smaller for the remnant church. Oh, you're so judgmental. You're so judgmental. I don't like it. You teach works-based salvation. How, how is this works-based? How is this works-based at all? You think the Lord is pleased when you take left turns, when I take left turns, when we take left turns? What about pastors and elders who teach that it's okay to take the left turn? Who they themselves lead, lead God's flock, God's sheep, His people down the road of left turns, the way of the flesh. You think God is pleased with that? Let me see your Bible. Oh, I can't see these pages here in the New Testament, but this Old Testament, it look, it's never been touched. How can you have the full counsel of the Word of God? You see? You're a car without brakes. And I'm the crazy one? I beg to differ. So let's go back to Hebrew or uh, Romans 8. Romans 8. In verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know how many people want peace? Oh, I just want peace. I want peace. And you say, okay, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. No way. They want peace, but they reject the Prince of Peace. But what about you? You desire peace? Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. That's to be spiritually minded. Stop taking the left turns. Start taking the right turns. The right turn, the right turn, the right turn, the right turn. And then something happens. Peace. People will hate you. And instead of being, you know, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so sad that this guy hates me. I'm so sad that this lady hates me. This girl hates me. But then you start taking the right turns, right? You start to rejoice like, oh, man, you know what? This fulfills what the Lord told us. Told us. He told me that they would hate me. And now these people hate me. I mean, it's one thing if they hate you because you're a jerk. You know, they hate you because you're a jerk. But if they hate you because, you know, you're a Christian, man, you can rejoice. You see? To be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind in verse 7 is enmity against God, hatred against God. Whoa. So you take those left turns. A person takes those left turns. The path by which shepherds can turn into wolves. They take the left turn. They walk according to the flesh. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm a shepherd in the church, but it's okay to do crack. Yeah, I'm a shepherd in the church, but it's okay for go to strip club because, you know, once saved, always saved. It's good to go. I'm good to go. Oh, God is merciful. God is love. Yeah, I'll go do this. The finest weed from Chiapas, Mexico. No big deal. Yeah, I teach the Bible, but, you know, I also cheat on my taxes. For the extra $2,000, I'll tithe. You know, I'll be hardcore. I'll tithe $400. The rest, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, do whatever. Go on vacation. Go on a trip. Go on a nice dinner. Why wouldn't God want this? You know, He's blessing me. That's the carnal mind. That's the carnal mind. That's this dangerous question. Why wouldn't God want this for me? People call that wisdom. You know what I call that? Foolishness. People call that wisdom. Why wouldn't God want this from me? So they take a left turn. 
You know what the Bible says? Wisdom laughs. Wisdom laughs. Don't ignore wisdom. Oh, but look, I got this, I got this, I got this. Look how God is, yeah, he's good. That's not the Lord. The rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. You can't call that the blessing of the Lord. The blessings of the Lord come through obedience to the Lord. You see? And the carnal mind, the shepherds who lead God's flock down the left, you know, they take all these left turns, the way of the flesh, that mindset is hatred against God. Hatred. Oh, but I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Do you? What's up with the crack? What's up with the pornography? What's up with your tax cheats? Your little white lies. Oh, it's just a little white lie. No big deal. Once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. You know, I'll go grave soaking tonight. Once saved, always saved. I'll take the mark of the beast. I'm, I'm good to go. I'll still be saved. That's carnally minded. And the Bible says it is hatred against God. Why is it hatred against God? For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It is not hupatasso is what it translates to. It is not hupatasso, which is subordinate. A mind that does not subordinate himself or herself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know what that mindset does? That behaves like Satan, Lucifer, who wanted to be exalted. You see? No submission to the law of God. How can they be in submission to the law of God when the Old Testament isn't even read? They don't even study Exodus. They don't even study Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. They don't even study these things to learn the fear of the Lord. A mind that is not in submission, hupatasso, subordinating himself or herself to the law of God. But how can they when they omit the Old Testament? And pastors want to think that they're obedient? Bible teachers want to think they're obedient? Youth leaders? Elders? They call that obedience? No way. You say, man, who, who, is this? Who, is, who is this guy? Where does he got, get off speaking like this? I'm just a guy with the Bible. That's it. But I still challenge you. It's not my message. I'm just the messenger. It's the Word of God. It's not my message at all. This is the Holy Bible. Holy Scripture. I don't care about excuses. You know, we all make excuses. Excuses for the flesh. To satisfy the desires and the passions of the flesh. But how is that not enmity against God? And you know... I don't want to hurt your feelings. That's not my that's not my goal to say, oh, you know, how dare you take all these left turns, you're gonna burn in hell. No, it's just the opposite. I'm saying, well, I meant, you know, if you keep doing that, it's not gonna be good. 
But I said, you keep taking these left turns, cut it out. Stop. Repent. Don't be a short-term believer, just as is written, you know, red letters in Luke 8. Don't believe for a little while. Believe for the rest of your life. All the days of your life. And in all the days of your life, don't just believe, but believe and grow and mature. Let your faith grow. And so, let's look what happens here. In verse 8, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I'll tell you how this translates in in the Greek. Those who are in the flesh absolutely cannot please God. That's how it translates in the Greek. My little uh, correction on the New King James Version. Sometimes I wish I could go back, talk to the translators. You know, hey guys, you know, the Greek says this, so, you know, you might want to emphasize that. It's kind of interesting how culture changes. Because these translators, you know, when they come together, they look at the ancient texts and the uh, writings and rewritings and rewritings, how it's been passed on from the ages. They look at these texts, you know, they might, you know, a hundred years ago. Oh, no, we don't have to specify this because that, you know, the people are gone if they start thinking this. Now look at the translations that we have today. It's the culture that has changed. Culture that has changed. You know, God never changes. It's culture that changes. And so it's written here in verse uh, 9, but you who are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now you read this, you're like, ooh, I'm so glad that this is here. Because yes, you know, yes, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Oh, praise the Lord. And you know, to be the carnal mind is hatred against God. Whoa, that's hardcore. He says in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. Wow, Paul is talking to me now. This is the, these other verses, those are for the other people, but this, this is for me. Well, if that's you, let's keep reading. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, comma, if, if. That's not since. Sometimes in the Bible, the word if is a since. But this is if as in if, which is a word of conditionality. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You see, just in verse 8 and 9 alone, not even the finishing verse 9. In verse 8 and verse 9 alone, let's read verse 8 and 9. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know how many people reading Paul's letter in the church in Rome would be mad at this verse? Those who are in the flesh absolutely cannot please God. You know how many people that would offend them? But I wonder how many people in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. How many, how, how many people will be blessed by verse 9? That's what the word of God does. Divides, makes a separation, makes a distinction between Egypt and Goshen and the residents therein. That's what the word of God does. You say, what do you mean? I don't get it. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And here in Luke 12, verse uh, 49, this is red letters. I came to send fire on the earth and, and how I wish it were already kindled. Whoa. 
Oh, God is love. God is love. Jesus Christ, he loves everybody. Yeah, he's God is love. But the Lord says, I wish it were already kindled. I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to bring to give peace on earth? Question mark. I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Just like those two verses we read in Romans. You read one little verse, it might offend people. It might offend the hearers. And then you read the next verse and people, it's like music to their ears. But that's what the word of God does. He makes a division. He makes a separation between Egypt and Goshen. Where do you live, my friend? Egypt or Goshen, you choose. Goshen is to the right. Egypt is to the left. Where do you live? Where do you desire to live? You could be in Egypt and be like, man, I hate Egypt. I want to be in Goshen. Repent. Praise be to the Lord. Repent. I don't care what your station in life is. I don't care what the works of your hand was. I don't care what the, 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 your, the steps of your feet. I don't care what. You're in Egypt and you want to be in Goshen? Praise be to the Lord. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent and be baptized and be born again. Be married to Christ. You know, die to the law and be alive in Christ and get married again. Speaking spiritually now. Marriage unto Jesus Christ. Just as Paul says in Romans 7. So he, the Lord starts to explain about this division in verse 52 of Luke 12. He says, for from now on, five in one house. Notice, under one roof. A family of five, under one roof. From now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It's division. It's, it's biblical. When you stand for righteousness, when you walk, you've been taking those right turns. You walk according to the Spirit. Your heart is being made softer and softer and softer and softer by your choices. Instead of turning left, you go right. You're learning how to fight. And you are fighting. And you're honoring the Lord. Do you know how much the world will hate you? Do you know how much division there's going to be? But praise be to the Lord. It's not you causing division. It's them being divided from Christ. Thus fulfills what the Word of God teaches. You can rejoice, my friend. You can rejoice. And on we go to Zion. On we go to paradise. This is the way. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's go back to Romans 8. In closing, a little bit. <laughs> so he says in Romans 8, verse 9, 
But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed, remember this word of conditionality, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Whoa, he does not belong to the Lord. How do we know? We look at the fruit. The Lord says, look at the fruit. When you look at the fruit, you're going to see good and you're going to see bad. I'll put it in other terms. When you look at the fruit, you're going to see fruit of the spirit and fruit of the flesh. The Lord says, look at the fruit. Remember, Simon, the Holy Spirit fell on everybody who believed except for one. His name was Simon. His heart wasn't right before the Lord. He had wickedness. That's what Paul is speaking about here. In verse 10, and if, not since, if, a word of conditionality, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. You remember how, you know, we looked at uh, uh, Galatians 2, verse 20, a couple weeks ago. And uh, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. And I make specific emphasis on it's Paul that's saying that. I am crucified with Christ. Well, let, let's turn to Galatians 2. In Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So let's break this down. This is Paul. I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, Paul, who live, but Christ lives in me, Paul. And the life which I, Paul, now live in the flesh, I, Paul, live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, Paul, and gave himself for me, Paul. You say, wait a second, does that mean this voice is this verse in verse 20, verse 20, Galatians 2, is only for Paul? Is it not for me? Is it not for us? Yes, it's for us. It's for the believer. And this verse can only be said of you when you make the choice, when I make the choice to reckon the old man dead, to reckon the old woman dead, because that's crucifixion. If you're not crucified with Christ, you're still alive. If you're not crucified with Christ, you're still married to the law. And in the law is death. You're the one that needs to die. Spiritually speaking, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, so-called pastors. I call them hirelings and false teachers. But they teach that suicide is a fast track to heaven. No way. Remember the Philippian jailer who wanted to kill himself? Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. So a lot of people, a lot of youngsters, millennials, they have challenges in life. They don't know how to deal with things, challenges in life. And so get, they get to the boiling point. You see like, you know, millennials, they have their, uh, they go in little fits. They're like five-year-olds. But because they're adults and they're like little five-year-olds, they don't know how to cope with it. And then enters depression, enters anxiety. And they go to the psychiatrist, they go to whatever, and they get all these pills, take all this concoction of pills, pill after pill after pill. Finally, you have zombies walking among us. And they're so depressed, so depressed under this, you know, zombie mindset. And then they say, you know what, I'm going to jump off a bridge. They start thinking about suicide. Don't do that. If that's you, if I just described you, I don't want to offend you by saying these things, but, you know, I kind of call it how I see it. It's true. I mean, you, can, you can't deny it. You say, oh, but this guy, look at what this... Talk to men. I, I have a problem sometimes with men. Oh, yeah, I have a problem. My daddy, he didn't, he didn't play catch with me when I was a kid. 
He didn't throw the football. You know, we didn't. We never played catch when I was a kid. Okay, you're talking about your dad with the lowercase d. What about the uppercase d? Your father in heaven. You see. He wants oneness with you. He wants intimacy with you. So much so that he gave his only begotten son. That your sin can be placed on his son. Because that's how much he loves you. In our state of separation from him, by our own choices being born into Adam, and by our own choices living under Adam, being married to the law, he made a way. Through his son. And on the cross is nailed the law, the fulfillment of the law, and the flesh, the weakness of the flesh. That's how much he loves you. Oh, but my daddy, he didn't pay, play catch with me. He never, we never played baseball together in the backyard. We never did this. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. But you have a different father. You see? I'm not saying Galatians 2.20 is not for you. I'm saying Galatians 2.20 is for you. But it's also indicative of death. Just like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What happened to Christ when he was crucified? He died. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You see? This is deep. But you know what? Shallow doctrine reaps shallow lives. And I don't want that in you. I want us to go deep. Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Let's go back to Romans 8. In Romans 8, verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. You know, sometimes people say, Oh yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. It's like, okay, hold up my phone. Uh, You know, how come you were drunk last night? What's up with this picture? How come you, you look stoned? What's up with that? I don't see crucifixion with Christ. I see you're still alive. The old man, the old woman is still alive. You need to carry your cross. You're not even carrying your cross. Where is your cross? By the way, you know, you're not carrying your cross. By the way, where is it? What are you talking about? Carry my cross. What are you talking about? You don't know? How long have you been walking with the Lord? How long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been in the church for, you know, 20 years. For 20 years, you haven't been carrying a cross? Oh, yeah, I've never learned that. My pastor never taught me. What? You need a new pastor. Oh, you're so mean-spirited. You're telling I like the guy. You know, he's my golfing buddy. We shoot hoops together. We do all these things together. You know, he's got a nice wife. We sew together. We do all these things. They're nice people. That's a social club. You can join any club. Join a book club if that's the case. If you want a social club, join a book club. Go to the gym, you know, find some, you know, whatever. 
But when it's church, this is like warrior training. How to fight, being equipped for the work of the ministry, to glorify God, to fight the good fight in ourselves, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being spiritually minded, and then, you know, we're new wineskins. New wine is being poured into us. And then all of a sudden the outpouring to bless others, to teach others. And you know what? When you teach others, when you preach the good news, people will hate you. As surely as the Lord lives, people will hate you. Even in the fold. I say the fold of Christ, but even in the so-called church. You say, what do you mean the so-called church? Don't forget that in the last days, the church is in different camps. It's the false church. They think they're Christians, but they're not. That's the false church. And then there's the apostate church. They also think they're Christians, but they're apostate. They've defected away from truth. People will hate you. The world will hate you. And even in the church, they will hate you. And so he says this in verse 10, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So, you know, death and life, does that ring a bell? Look at Jesus Christ himself. He died, he rose again, death and life. Just like our master. The spirit is life because of righteousness. That's why we die. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So you see this transfer from death to life. In verse 11, but if, word of conditionality, if, and this word and is de in the Greek, de, de, and it, it, it better translates as and. But if, or and if, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you or resides in you, remember, your body is a temple. Your body is a temple. Just like the Old Testament, you're going to see the, the, the Spirit of the Lord in the tabernacle, the Spirit of the Lord in the temple. And what happens when kings do bad? What happens when priests do bad? What happens when the people do bad? You know what happens? The glory of the Lord leaves the temple. Now you honor the Lord. You make all these right turns in life. You walk according to the Spirit. You make all these right turns. Instead of going left, the, word, the way of the flesh, you, you turn right. And it's pleasing to the Lord because you're honoring Him with your choices. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He, our Father, who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, translates as to quicken and vitalize to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And this is our life everlasting. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We owe. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So if it's not to the flesh, what is it to? The Spirit. Be indebted to the Spirit? What are you talking about? Indebted to the Spirit. Remember, works is a debt. Works is a debt, just as Paul taught. Oh, there he goes. He's teaching works-based salvation. No, I'm not even talking about salvation. I'm talking about a walk. 
in accordance to the flesh, being in debt to the Spirit, indebted to the Spirit. What does that mean? Obedience to Him. Obedience. You remember when Brother James, when he started to write about, you know, faith and works are inseparable? And he says, you know, I'll, I'll read it, but in James, um, let me turn there really quick. He says this uh, in James chapter 2, verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Two separate gifts. You have faith and I have works. But then he says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Works? You see, what do you mean justified by works? Does that mean there's a works-based salvation? No. Let's turn to Genesis 22 really quick to understand here what is being spoken of about works. In Genesis 22, Genesis 22 verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Here I am. And in verse 2, then he said, the, the beginning of verse 2, then he said, the end of verse 2, I shall tell you. And the end of verse 3, God had told him. All these things, the middle of verse 7, here I am, my son. Or, or you know, not, not the end of verse 7, but in ver the beginning of verse 9, God had told him. All these things that the Lord is saying in the beginning of verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him. And all these times the Lord is speaking and Abraham says at the end of verse 11, here I am. Several things are being shown here that Abraham has ears to hear. Remember, it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. He believed in the Lord and it's accounted to him for righteousness sake. But then at the same time, you don't just see that Abraham hears the voice of the Lord. He also does. He also performs. He also, in obedience, does exactly what the Lord is telling him. Obedience. And that's what Brother James writes of. Faith and works. Faith and obedience. What does the, word say? What does the Lord say? Well, read His Word, Old Testament and New Testament. Obedience to Him. People tell me all the time, Oh, you teach works-based salvation. It's not. We're not even on the same page. It's not a works-based salvation. But there still works. Faith without works is dead. And that's what indebted to the Spirit is. Because God wants to use you. He desires to use you. Let's go to Romans 8 now in closing. Verse 13. He says, For if, another word of conditionality, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body. I'll, I'll translate to you. I'll break this down. He says, you put to death the deeds of the body. He said, it, how it translates, you kill the deeds of the body, the acts of the body. You kill. Now, some people say, oh, God wills this to happen. God wills this to happen. You know, God will make this happen in your life. God wills this to happen in your life. But no. 
He says, you kill the deeds of the flesh and it's done by the Spirit. That's the Spirit inside of you. You kill the deeds of the flesh. You've been taking the left path, the left way you've been turning left this whole time. You realize, you say, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know. Okay, that's fine. Now you know. Officially, right here, right now, you officially know. Which evokes a response. Okay, okay, now that I know, I don't want to be stupid. You know, I didn't know before, and I love the Lord, I fear the Lord, I didn't know. So you know what? I'm going to put the death, the deeds of the body. I'm killing the acts of the body. I'm killing the acts of the flesh right now. Lord, forgive me. You see? Lord, forgive me. You know, I repent of those things. I didn't know, Lord, but now I know. And I repent of those things, and I want to make choices that honor you. And then the Lord picks you up, puts you back on the path. And the next time you're at the fork in the road, you turn right instead of, instead of left. Oh, my pastor this whole time, he's been telling me that it's okay to do the works of the flesh. He's been telling me it's okay to turn left. That's not a pastor. That's a hireling. Get a new pastor. Oh, but my elder, he's such a nice guy. You know, we have these private Bible studies. He's so nice, you know. And I like him. We shoot hoops every now and then. We go golfing together. And yeah, you know, we laugh. We have a, a good old time. But he never taught me these things. Well, get a new elder. Get a new pastor. What you've described are hirelings. They do the bidding of their bellies. But there are faithful shepherds who do the bidding of the Lord. Who teach. Find one. And learn. You see, and in the course of time, you know, you're going to be new wine skin. You're going to have new wine and the Lord's going to tap on your heart. Hey, you know what? I want you to start teaching. I want you to go start ministering over here. You know, you're not young in Christ. You've been matured. You've been grown. You've been expanded in Christ. Your knowledge base is more vast in Christ. You know, you're not a novice in Christ. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to use you now. And so look what happens here. Uh, in verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Let me tell you how this translates. For whosoever is led by the Spirit, because there's a lot of people who say, oh, it's only for the elect. It's only for the chosen. God predestines you to heaven or God predestines you to hell. He wills this to happen. They also say that, you know, God wills the, the, the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. God wills that to happen. But what does the Bible say? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you have to kill it. You have to kill it. And that's what I love so much about the Old Testament and the New Testament is you start to see these correlations. Remember we talked about it just on Wednesday. There's the expectation of battle. There's the expectation for you and me to fight. Just like in Numbers chapter 1, they make a counting of a census of the men who are able to go to war. What about you? Where are the men who are able to go to war? You say, oh, I'm, I'm a female. I'm a female. Okay. Well, the first census, the men who are able to go to war, they died. 
The second census, you know, the men who were able to go to war, you read the listing, there's some females in there. It's the people who were able to go to war, male and female. Why? Because in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile in Christ. That's why I feel bad for women in the church because they're looked upon as second-class citizens. I feel bad for my sisters. If you're my sister and you're listening, and you're like, man, I feel like a second-class citizen, I agree with you. I don't like it. I don't like it. Pastors need to teach. Elders need to teach. If that's you, you're listening, you know, and you're like, man, I don't like my church. You know, I'm, I've been treated like a second-class citizen. I don't like this. Everybody's like, you know, you submit, submit. You know, I'm a wife. I got to submit to my husband, which is biblical. You know, submit to your husband. It's totally biblical. But there's a little asterisk to that. And the asterisk is this. You submit to your husband when your husband is himself in submission to Jesus Christ. Because there's such a hardcore teaching on wives submit to your husband. And so the husband, you know... The husband is like, you know, he goes off into crazy town. He becomes a meth head, you know, and he becomes a meth head. And then the wife in submission, all of a sudden she becomes a meth head too. Because she, her pastor told her, you know, you have to submit to your husband. The husband says, here, wife, give this a try. And husband and wife, meth heads. But no, you know, you're a wife. You submit to your husband. Your husband starts doing crack and pornography, all the kind. He goes off in crazy town. You are the one who's in submission to Jesus Christ. You don't submit to your husband. You submit to Jesus Christ, your, your capital H husband. The one you're married to, spiritually. The one you're tied to, eternally speaking. And with one hand, you hold on to your husband. And with the other hand, you hold on to your kids. And you can save your family by so doing. Your body becomes like a little cross. Under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But a lot of women are like slaves in their home. Daughters who are slaves in their home. Parents say, I want to teach my kids servanthood, so I'm going to make them my slaves. You know, you just get a maid. You, you don't want a kid. You just, want, you, you just want a maid. You just want a butler. You see? It's the parents who sow for the kids. It's the parents who, you know, make sacrifices for the kids, not the other way around. That's not biblical. So let's look at Romans here in chapter 8, verse uh, 14. For as many whosoever are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And you know what? If you're led by the Spirit, it means you choose to follow Him. You choose to follow the Spirit. In verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. This happens when the old man isn't dead. You hear me talk about death, death, how good it is to, to die, spiritually speaking. I could say physically too, but that's, I'll save that for another day. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. But you're crucified with Christ means you're dead. And you know, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. And this only happens when you, when I, when we fail or refuse either by lack of information or lack, lack of intellect. We refuse to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. That means the old nature is still alive. Still alive. And then you have carnality. You have leaven that grows and grows and grows and festers and festers and festers inside of a body. 
And then inside of a home, inside of a marriage, inside of a family, it infects the family. And then all of a sudden the family goes to church and you start infecting other families. You know, you have two, teen- two teenagers. You know, one teenager goes to youth group. You know, there are two teenagers in youth group. And they start saying, oh, yeah, you know, my mom and dad say this is okay. We do this, do that. And then all of a sudden the kids say, oh, okay, this is okay to do. And they start doing it. It's like a cancer. You see, it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. You say, what do we do? What do we do? Well, my question is, where are the pastors? Where in the world are the elders? Oh, look at our church. We have five pastors. We have two head pastors and three co-pastors. And we have ten elders. Look how awesome we are. That's even worse. That's even worse. Among those 15 people, is there not one who teaches? Is there not one who will provide this protection for the flock of God? Just one. Oh, you're so mean-spirited. That's so mean-spirited. Is it really? I don't want to be mean. I don't try to be mean. But the truth of God's holy word is very abrasive to the carnal man, to the carnal woman. Why? Because he confronts us. From the front, not from the back. From the front. He confronts you, he confronts me. And he wants to change you. He wants to change me. You, me, we have to allow him. Yielding to him. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. Oh, but the Lord wills it to happen. Really? Where did you hear that? I don't know this guy. I heard it on TV. Oh, this guy. I read the study, bi- study Bible. He wills it to happen. The Lord, the Lord wills it to happen. Really? This same guy with the study Bible, is he, does he happen to be the same one who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast? He can still be saved? Poison in the church. The apostasy of the last days is here. It's not coming. The prophesied apostasy of the last days, it is here, my friend. Let it bring us comfort. Why? Because we know that redemption draws near. Let us find comfort in these things. Even though it's dark, let us find comfort in Goshen. So he says here in verse 15, in closing, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It's a very endearing term. It's very personal. It's like saying, Papa. The creator of heaven, the creator of earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. He is our Father. Absolutely. He is our Father. He is your Father. Oh, but I got all these daddy issues. I have a hard time with men. I say men, but, you know, they're like little boys. You know, men with big muscles, they got the beards, they're hairy, they got all, you know, they're dudes. But when they start speaking, it's like, oh, is he really, you know? Is it? Oh, my daddy, you know, he, he never played catch me catch when I was a kid. We never kicked the soccer ball. We never threw the frisbee. And so, therefore, I beat on my wife. Oh, I have all these daddy issues. Therefore, I cheat on my wife. I have all these daddy issues, therefore I'm a meth head, I'm a crackhead. I cheat on my taxes, 
because I have all these daddy issues. Okay, you know, you need to cut it out. That's an excuse. What about your father in heaven who loves you, who's long-suffering, not willing that you should perish? What about him? Does he have a say in the matter? Do you want him to be your father in heaven? Is he your father in heaven? Do you acknowledge him as your father in heaven? Because if so, there needs to be some changes. You need to die. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking, supernaturally speaking. Death is required. Oh, but I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Really? I don't, I don't see death. I see the old man is still alive. I don't see crucifixion with Christ. Don't judge me lest you be judged. I'm not trying to judge. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying you're going to burn in hell. I'm not judging you. I'm trying to help you. Anacrino, diacrino. I'm trying to help you. You see? In verse 15, you know, it, uh, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out to Abba, Father. It's like saying Papa. In verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness. This word is uh, sumartureo in the Greek. Sumartureo in the Greek. It's dual testimony. Corroboration and dual testimony. You see, intimacy with the Lord, intimacy with Jesus Christ. He says, I and my Father are one. The Holy Spirit, part of the triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Intimacy with Him is also intimacy with the Spirit. And you have this sumartureo, which is the dual testimony and corroboration with the Holy Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I know we all have earthly families. We all have earthly families. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, um, I've been called a homewrecker. I've been called the destroyer of families. And it's not my goal. I don't, it's like, okay, I'm going to destroy families. I don't, that's not, that's not it. But I teach a different family. Your earthly family, that's birth into Adam. And if your family are Christians, praise be to the Lord. But that's still birth into Adam. If they're Christians, it's, you know, it's heirs of Abraham. Just as we studied a couple weeks ago, heirs of Abraham. Praise be to the Lord. It's a spiritual family. Supernaturally speaking, we have a different family. The Word of God is like our family tree. All these people we read about. Moses, Paul, Chloe. I can't wait to meet her. It's like our family, you know. Back in the day, I'm kind of old school. You don't see this nowadays. Everybody's on their phones now. But back in the day, there used to be this invention. Somebody concocted it. It's called a photo album. You open it up and you see these little plastic sheets and inside the plastic sheets are little pictures that people would go to the store to get developed. And then they get the pictures, they put them in the thing. So you go to somebody's house, you sit on their couch and you go, you know, flip through the pages of their photo album, big, thick photo album, sometimes multiple. Now everything's just on phones. But back in the olden days, you flip through these photo albums and, you know, you sit next to somebody like, oh, yeah, that's my grandma right there. Oh, that's my granddad right there. Oh, look, these are my cousins. Oh, we were over here. We went over here. We were in Canada. You know, here we went into Florida. Here we went, you know, shooting in Idaho. 
We did all these things. Here we are on a boat. It's like, wow, you have such a cool family. You guys look like you're having a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, I love them a lot. But when we go through the Word of God, we study the Word of God. It's like our photo album. It's like, wow, I'm so in love with Paul. Oh, Chloe, what a beautiful woman. Eunice. Oh, beauty. You know, Hannah. It's like, oh, man, I, I can't, I so can't wait. Why? Because we're in adoption. The spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Papa, Abba, Father. And oneness with the Spirit, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, another word of conditionality, and if children, not since children, remember a letter to the church in Rome, young Christians. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, another word of conditionality, conditionality, if indeed we suffer with Him. And in the Greek, this is to jointly experience pain. We suffer with Him. You know how many people, they want to avoid tribulation and suffering and pain at all cost? Be careful with that. Sometimes you take the right road, you turn right. You make these decisions. You don't turn, you don't make these decisions to walk according to the flesh. You honor the Lord and you make these decisions to honor the Spirit and you've been going right, turning right, turning right, turning right and something happens. As you keep walking, you're going to be lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. People who were your friends, they start to hate you. And then there's going to be an element of suffering. Because you're going to look around. You're going to look in front of you, behind you, side, left side, right side. And you're all alone. And it hurts. It's not that you want to be alone, but there's nobody there with you. Except one. Capital O. Jesus Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with Him. And you suffer, you experience pain with Him when the world hates you. Remember Jesus Christ? He's on the cross all alone. The disciples scattered. All alone. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know what kind of love that is? It's not of this world, I'll tell you that. Stephen, when he's being stoned, Lord, don't count this against them. Paul, the very ones who wanted to kill them. He says, I wish I would be anathema from Christ for the sake of my brethren. I wish I could be separated from Christ if it could mean that my brethren can be saved. What kind of love is that? It's not of this world. And yet these people also suffered. Just like Jesus Christ. And a slave is not greater than his master. A slave is not greater than her master. In closing, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see, this earth is not our home, my friend. We're just passing by. We're going to end our study here and pick up Lord willing here in verse 18. God bless you guys. Love you guys.